0: My name is David, and this is The Big Shut-In. It's Thursday, June the 4th, day 82 of sheltering in place. And three months into this adventure, I thought it was a good time to start checking back with some of the people I talked to right at the beginning of this series and see how they're doing, what they're doing now, how it's different from where they were then. And I started with the brilliant and powerful Naomi, who, as you may remember, is a political science professor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I was particularly excited to talk to her because I know she's been very active And everything that's going on now. She's been out, she's been marching, and it's been something that's been powerful and and meaningful for her and for her son, who was really struggling in a lot of this. And so I think I'll keep my introduction short today and go right to my conversation with Naomi. You there?
1: Yeah, I'm here. How are you? Um, well...
0: (laughs) I, I don't even know how to, i don't know how to answer that question
1: anymore how
0: are you i am i'm doing okay
1: um i'm much more hopeful now actually than i had been
0: what What is making you hopeful right now
1: What is making me hopeful so i I have been going out to the protests and they are spontaneous you know you have a single individual post you know, let's meet at this place tomorrow and a thousand people show up <laughs> and march through the streets all day long. And they're young people. You know, these are not, you know, I've done protest marches. I've been involved in, in protest movements. Um, When I discovered I was pregnant with my son who marched with me just the other day, I, it was on the eve of the Iraq war and I was doing protest for peace at that time. And and I remember the protests were really dominated by a group of baby boomers who had protested Vietnam and now we're protesting against the Iraq war. And and the feeling was very different and it was controlled and it was um, sort of organized by smaller groups. And these are just young people. These are, are people who are just showing up kind of spontaneously with passion. And there, it's a lot of people. It's it's diverse. And so that experience in itself, despite the fact that uh, I have my trepidation against about marching during a pandemic, but but that experience itself is enough to make you feel a little bit of hope. And then I've been watching my social media feed. And on my social media feed, I have... Friends from all over the political spectrum and acquaintances. you know, I was in the military for a time, so I have a group of very conservative friends from that time period in my life, and they are divided and they are more divided than they've been throughout the, you know the last few years on my feed. And some of them are are still all lives matter, back to the blue, um, they're saying, you know, black criminality is the problem. But others can see how uh, repressive, um, how excessive the police reaction to the protests have been. And it's like the, the libertarian impulse is winning out over their racism. <laughs> and well, that it, is good news. Yeah, there's, this, there's a split on the right. Um, and the, so the protests are working, is my sense. And I've never felt that way about protests before. I've always been very cynical because I don't really understand the power of protest and how it translates to policy change very well. And under what circumstances, even though I'm a political scientist, um, I find it sort of puzzling and amazing when, when protest movements work, but there's something happening with the divisions on the right and then the the energy coming from young people in the street, um, that's really exciting. I mean if you were to if you were to put a sort of uh, political instability soup, you know if you had a recipe for it, high unemployment rates would be the first main ingredient you'd want <laughs> um, and so I feel like we've put up with racism so long. We've put up with the police violence escalating. But now it's happening when all of this is brewing with unemployment and um, people have the time. And so this is a moment that I think is just critical. Now, if you had talked to me, I think, a couple weeks ago You know, somewhere between the last time we spoke and this time, you would have heard a really different story. Because when those armed men stormed the Michigan State Capitol, um, threatening the life of the governor, um, and they walked away from it uh, as though, you know, they had the rights to do that, Uh, that uh, for me was, was deeply troubling and still is. The juxtaposition of the treatment of those white uh, armed um, protesters. Heavily
0: armed? Yes, heavily armed. Automatic weapons and body armor. I mean, is shocking. And the police just sort of said, well, that's okay.
1: Explicitly threatening violence. Explicitly intimidating. And the reaction to them versus the reaction to peaceful protesters kneeling in front of the police. Um, that's really disturbing. And uh, when I saw that, I began to, to wonder if we weren't on the verge of a civil war.
0: I mean, I, I couldn't help but think about, you know, back when we spoke before for this show, which I just did the math with 73 days ago. My <laughs> kind of amazing. Um, that's... Uh, <laughs> seventy three nearly identical days ago um, <laughs> and uh you were talking about your sense you were very you said some very prophetic things actually that you saw this as a soup that was going to yield political unrest if the government didn't really you know r- really start paying people to stay home and really take some really strong socialist action to help people through the economic uncertainty of the quarantine that people were going to get more and more unstable and the fact that it was it was about police brutality was kind of the striking of the match but i can't i can't help but thinking that you know that it was as you're saying like it it was it was a perfect time for this To to happen, you know, it's it's not separate from COVID. It's 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 a related phenomenon.
1: Absolutely not separate from COVID. If you think about the communities that are most targeted by police brutality, those are the communities that are paying the heaviest toll, both economically and in terms of their health and life from from COVID. You know, it disproportionately targets people of color uh, because of the layers of injustice and structural violence, and inequality, and how that relates then to police brutality and state repression, And um, so it's absolutely all related. I have so
0: many mixed feelings about the protest. I have so, I mean, I have such good feelings about everything right now, but because on one hand, I, I absolutely am as aware as it is possible for, you know, a white man to be, I think, of... The reality of police brutality and the, and I mean, I've tried very, very hard and, and of institutional racism, I've tried very hard to educate myself and be aware. Um, and so I, I, I'm very glad that this is a conversation that's actually happening and people are actually listening finally to some of this, but at the other hand, I embraced being in New York, you know, masses of people hitting the streets together in New York that 2 3 weeks from now we're going to have another huge wave of coronavirus cases because everyone's in these giant groups. Absolutely. Um, and so I mean wh- what inspired you because I know you've been very conscientious about staying home, keeping your family home. What inspired you to to hit the streets and 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 be a part of this and and what precautions have you taken and what precautions have you seen other people take or not take in all of this? Yeah.
1: So so first I'll say that um, uh, the decision to go to the protest was something I had to negotiate with my spouse. So he has been uh, much more fearful of the coronavirus than I have. We have very different... When we look at risk, we you know, he's more risk-averse than I am. Um, so... That was something that initial, until the protest got really large, you could tell that um, he wasn't as comfortable with. And he's still not entirely comfortable, neither am I. But uh, that was the first protest I went to um, was a very small one. It was, you know, on a Thursday. I, you know, they all blend together now. I, was it only a week ago? It was only a week ago. And it was very small. And as I was standing there, I noticed there was not social distancing happening, even though it had been advertised as socially distant. Uh, There just wasn't the space. Um, There were quite a few people that weren't wearing masks, even though I was wearing one. I stayed at the edge of the crowd and I felt very uneasy knowing more than anything that I was in the part of the city that had been hardest hit by coronavirus and By no coincidence, it's the same part of the city that's been hardest hit by police brutality where we held this first protest. This is is
0: Milwaukee,
1: right? Yeah, this is in Milwaukee. Milwaukee is among the most segregated cities by race in the United States. We have very serious problems of police brutality here, very serious problems of economic and social segregation in the city, very serious problems with mass incarceration of black men. In, in Milwaukee, and so this is this is a really important place to be protesting these issues and in Milwaukee, there's a, a very disproportionate impact of the virus on black people versus um, versus white people. People of color have been hit much harder, and a lot of that has to do with uh, the lack of access to health care in some of these communities. It has to do with uh, the type of service work that people are stuck doing and the fact that quarantine has always been a luxury, one that, that many of these communities have, have trouble accessing. So we had the, the, the protest, the first one I went to in this part of the city, and all I could think about in my mind was, could I be a vector making it worse here rather than better by my very presence um, was my concern. I was really worried, and I'm still worried, that the marches are going to make it worse, and they're going to make it worse for the very people we're trying to march to save. And um, I talked to a friend of mine, um, and we were talking about this issue, and uh, he's a black man. And I was telling him that I went to the march, and I, but I didn't feel comfortable for this reason. And he replied to me. That, um, you know, it's the police violence, more than anything, hurts children, you know, um, children in black communities, young young men and women. Uh, Whereas the virus, as far as he was concerned, and he's scared of the virus, you know, he's been very frightened of it, despite the fact that he still has to go to work. Um, He said, you know, the virus is more likely to hurt him, not his grandson. And for that reason alone, he felt comfortable walking. And it's not like saying old people are worth less or anything like that, or throw grandma under the bus to save the young people, you know. Like we've, but it was it was very much about you know the future, uh, the, the future that we have with our young people in this community uh, is more devastated by the police violence than the risks of the virus. Wow, so
0: he made that he made that calculus in his head. That... The
1: calculus, yeah, that's what he told me and it resonated with me because because I have had some similar feelings about the say, you know, if if my children were at risk from this virus, I might be acting quite differently if I'm really honest. You know? <laughs> um, whereas if it's me and my parents who are at risk, I act differently than if it's my children. And if I really thought a police officer was more likely to kill my son than the virus, you know, then, the, then throwing all caution to the wind with the virus to protest and make it stop makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and so what he said to me seemed to resonate, you know, not at a rational level with me, but with an emotional level as a mother. You know, and then when you think about the fact that George Floyd. Was yelling for his mother. You know, he's somebody's baby. Like, I, I mean, it just struck, it struck an emotional chord with me very deeply. And then when I look at the face of Tamar Rice, you know, a little boy, much younger than my own son, um, just a, just a baby, um, that strikes a different emotional note. And I have a very different read of risk when I'm going into a situation to stop that. than than the virus. I brought my son to the last protest, and it was so important for him. I I really think that it was the right thing to do for him to be there and involved. Um, You know, his friends were all there out in the streets. And he would call to him, hey, come march with us. And he'd say, no, man, I'm marching with my mom. See, she's the short one. I'm bigger than her. I got to march with her, (laughs) you know. (laughs) um, it was I think I am not going to stop him from being in this really important moment I mean this is his moment to have some uh, uh, a role in in his history I mean so like I I certainly wasn't going to stop him from going that time and I'll probably any protest I do go to I'll take my my uh, 16 year old with me as well.
0: How's how's he doing? How are you guys doing in the lock-in now, that two months later, two plus months later?
1: We're doing a lot better. So we had a rough ride, as you remember, in the beginning. I also gave up entirely on homeschooling him. Like, we just, we're just not doing that. <laughs> um, so we backed off and gave him space. I imagine that, um, it's not easy to be 16 and locked in a house with your family um, the whole time. Uh, we were quite strict in social isolation. He had contact with his friends on his computer, uh, so he was kind of chatting with them pretty frequently. Um, he really hasn't had much of a social life, aside from going to the protests with me. That's been, that's been it um, as far as his contact with the outside world. His father has taken him grocery shopping once or twice, uh, just to so that he would get out of the house. Um, but he seems to be doing much better now. I mean, under uh, he uh, we haven't had any episodes of um, kind of emotional breaks or temper tantrums or confrontations or anything of that nature um, since we backed off of the homeschooling pressure that seemed to make a really big difference. And this, this protest, you should have, I I mean, I wish I could just to see the looks on his, I mean, he was under the mask, but his eyes just like blazing with, with emotion and excitement and to be out in the crowd. And I could hear him shouting from under his mask and chanting. And, um, you know, what he wanted to carry the sign for me. And, um, uh, you know you could tell that he treasured being a part of uh a real movement for justice I mean, what's better than that feeling uh that you're you are making a big change so so that was that was really special for him to be a part of and for me to get to to watch him be a part of that uh meant a lot to me as well uh you know we're both he understands the the sort of double edge of of what's happening with the pandemic as well And he's been been good about not complaining about not getting out of the house.
0: What do you think? What do you think is going to happen next? What is July going to look like?
1: What is August going to look like? (laughs) What is October going to look like? Oh, I have no idea. I have no idea what any of this is going to look like. What do you think it's going to look like? I don't even, I have no idea.
0: (laughs) I mean, I, 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 I feel like no forecasted scenario is too crazy at this point. I mean, you mentioned civil war earlier and I, I mean, normally that's the sort of thing where you say, well, come on, like that's not, that's not something that's normally in the, in the realm of possibility, but it kind of feels like it, doesn't it? I mean, if, yeah. If the Northeast decided to secede from the Union in September, I, I don't think I would be stunned.
1: You know, I, think I might show up on your doorstep as a refugee. But... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Under um, President, President Cuomo. You know, I mean, it's totally. Po- I mean, it seems absurd, but it's. Com- I think it's completely possible. I, I could see Trump canceling the election, and everything going to hell and the country breaking apart. I could totally see that's a possibility
1: for sure. That's not what I think is going to happen though. I, you know, if a civil war happens, I don't think it's coming from the left initially, you know? And okay, this is all ridiculous because I don't think a civil war is actually going to happen. Um, I have moments because I'm a paranoid, I do have a paranoid prepper streak deep down inside me that maybe comes from being in the military <laughs> or maybe it comes from my upbringing. Uh, but just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they aren't out to get you. Uh, so maybe I've lost my mind, but maybe the world has too. But- well, that's
0: the thing, right? I mean, who would have predicted yeah. that Donald Trump would be president? I know. Who would have
1: predicted? No, I mean, not- you
0: know, Ten years ago. Absurd. No, it's who would real. Have pred- this whole thought of the fact that I'm, I'm literally in quarantine and curfew right now. Yeah.
1: Because it's, it's,
0: the world is so on fire. I mean.
1: But if a yeah. civil war happens, I think that it'll have to do with those tensions within the government. And far right groups that are heavily armed siding with a particular part of the government. Because our government, you know, we've got the federal level and the states. Um, there's tensions between military and civilian in ways in the U.S. that we've never had before so if if there, that you know, tension turned into fragmentation um, and you had militias uh, you know, on the right that then sided uh, violently with one side of the government or the other that would be, I think the worst case scenario for the eruption of violence. I don't think, I don't think these peaceful protests are going to turn into civil war. That's not what's happening out there. Like these are, no, these are, I don't see that. You know, these are just people no. in the streets. But, and so if, if there were the sort of worst case scenario, I think it would be that, but. but
0: and I could see a secession. I think when I'm, if I really think about the situation that I, when I close my eyes, And think about the weirdest thing that could happen or the most extraordinary thing that could happen. I don't even see civil war. I see, you know, the federal government continuing to go down this road of dear states, these problems are your problems and not our problems. Figure them out yourself. And a state or a group of states saying, you know what, if I'm figuring out everything out, out by myself, I want to figure everything out by myself. Yeah. I mean, why not? You know?
1: Yeah, or um, you know, there's a disagreement without secession happening, and some crazy people decide to declare war on one part of the government or the other. (laughs) You know, in defense of the White House, or in defense of, um, you know, so, so yeah. I mean, I don't know what it's going to look like. I I think I've I've been working under the assumption that I will still have a job, but I will probably still be working online. Even though my university says I'm going to be teaching face-to-face, I I had been working on the assumption that that wouldn't be possible. Now, that said, um, the universities have been asking the administration to shield them from liability, a group of universities, not all of them, a, a small group, to shield them from liability in the case of an outbreak among students. If they get some protection or promise that they won't be sued for an outbreak on their campus, I might be back in the classroom. Not because the pandemic will be over and it will be safe, but because my employer will uh, be able to proceed without fear
0: uh, of legal repercussions. Would you be able to proceed without fear into a classroom?
1: Yes. I, I would, I would. I, I, I'm. I've never been fearful for my own health. I would be fearful for for the health of my colleagues, um, and my coworkers. So among the faculty, there are a lot of us that are over age sixty. I'm not, and to be over age sixty in a classroom with a bunch of kids that are socializing in ways that surely aren't socially distanced, um, that would be a really frightening experience. And I, as their colleague and their coworker, worker uh, would not ask them to do that. So I, would, I wouldn't fear for my own health, but I would not want to jeopardize the health of, of my colleagues by having that situation. Will you... But would you hesitate
0: if, if the... If it, let's say let's say the the order comes down from from se- senior uh, senior management—that's <laughs> well, the wrong term—but senior management of, of the university that that we are going to reopen—and you're getting different words about the safety of of resuming social contact—would you hesitate to return?
1: I would hesitate to return if my colleagues were not ready to return. So. Basically, what is going to determine my behavior will have to do with worker solidarity. Um, that's what's going to happen. So if my colleagues are frightened for their health or the health of their loved ones at home through the potential transmission, um, and then I will stand with them. Um, I wouldn't hesitate to return for my, for my own health. Like, I'm not concerned about whether or not I get the virus. But I am, you know, not the only person in that workplace. And I have an ethical obligation to keep rank with um, the other vulnerable workers on campus.
0: I think we should wrap up there. Um, thank you again. <laughs> Maybe we'll do this again in another two months oh my <laughs> when God. we're all still in lockdown.
1: Let's hope that it's. Better. Hopefully, next time we talk, we'll be on the other side.
0: <laughs> My name is David Hoffman, and this is The Big Shut In. I produce the show. It's a production of Race Car Radio, racecarradio.com. If you have feedback for me, or you have a story that you think I should hear, please feel free to reach out, The Big Shut In, at racecarradio.com. Race Car Radio is a division of Citizen Race Car. Applied Imagination.